0: hello and welcome to this episode of the offstage me podcast my name is michael and you might know me as a stationary reviewer on instagram and youtube as well as a few other places of course today this is episode six of season one and in this episode i'm going to be talking with michael from platypus pens i am really looking forward to that conversation So we have just clicked over into 2024. I hope you all had an amazing Christmas and new year period. It was a pretty busy one for me, lots of singing gigs, lots of uh, family commitments, all of that kind of thing. I had a great time though, and I uh, got some wonderful gifts from some wonderful people, which I am so grateful for, but also I got to spend some amazing time with my family, which was really special. Of course, as we click over into the new year, for me, it's kind of just like any other day, really. Apart from the fact I get to officially open up my diary planner set for the year for the first time. Like, I always look at them and set them up, But this is the first time you kind of open it officially. And so the other morning I was able to crack open my Hobonichi Cousin for the first time. It's always something I really look forward to and something I really enjoy because my planners are a big part of what I do and what I enjoy and what I enjoy reviewing and making content about. So the Hobonichi Cousin, the A5 version of the Hobonichi, uh, is my choice for this year. I really enjoy that. That diary. I also have the Hobonichi weeks for when I need something just a little bit more lightweight to go around, as well as a range of notebooks for different purposes, of course. Uh, But this is also my second year now out of the Some Lines a Day from Leuchtturm, which is their five year diary. I completed that at the end of 2020 uh, and I was thinking about starting it again this year, 2024, uh, but I've decided to take this year off again, uh, starting something in 2025. um, I don't know which version that'll be. I'm looking at a couple of the Midori style uh, notebooks, or the five year diary and things from Midori, and sort of focusing it, maybe even the 10 year diary, and sort of focusing it more on my performance life. I think it'll be an interesting record to keep and something that uh, will make it less of a chore to complete when it's got like a really targeted kind of theme. Also this week, I started my exploration of the creator's friend fast brain system uh, created for neurodivergent, particularly ADHD uh, people. uh, And I myself am neurodivergent. This was created by neurodivergent people. It's a system that I'm really looking forward to sort of having a play with, and I'll be making sort of content about that later in the month for next or after this month. Um, So that'll be really great. So let's quickly start with the what's new for this. Uh, episode and I'm going to start with a couple of things firstly I produced my pen and ink of the year videos uh, this uh, last week or so Uh, and so the ink of the year this year was the sailor Colt pens exclusive iris which is a beautiful blue with big hints of purple coming through it's a beautiful beautiful ink and it performs so so well i really love that ink and i really love uh the the how the ink performs it's, it's wonderful my pen of the year was the pilot custom 845 rushi now i looked at a lot of great pens in 2023 and i mentioned a lot of them in the last episode uh so the pen of the year the pilot custom 845 uh is a truly great pen uh to sort of stand out amongst a field of amazing pens uh so I'm already starting to uh, plan out this year's reviews and some of the pens I'll be looking at. Um, I've got the next couple of months scheduled out and then going out from that uh, a list of pens I would really, or brands even, that I would really like to look at. So I'm sort of starting to get in touch with them and you know look and see what the, the, the plan may be. Uh, but yeah, that pen of the year video, uh, always a favorite of mine and always uh, seems to be a relative favorite of my audience as well. One thing that came up out of that, because I mentioned in my pen of the year video, my favourite budget pens, uh, which this year was the Jinhao 82 and in the under $10 price range and then the Scrivener or Scrivener uh, EDC pen in the under $100 pen range. I really loved both of those pens a lot uh, for very different reasons but both beautiful pens and so someone commented on that video about the Hongdian C1. Now I've only recently got my hands on some Hongdian pens, uh, three of them in fact Uh, and the C1 wasn't one of them but I've decided I'll probably get my hands on that because I think it'll be an interesting pen to review. Uh, Recently came in the mail was a a selection of nine inks from Octopus Fluids. So I've got three of their Sheening inks, three of their Document inks, and three of their Baroque inks. So the Baroque inks, spelled B-A-R-O-C-K, uh, are inks that are reminiscent of a brand from Dresden from the past, and Octopus Fluids is based in Dresden. So they've taken up the mantle of this brand and they're beautiful vintage kind of really old-school color inks. Uh, Caviar, particularly, is absolutely stunning and there's a beautiful blue called marine so I'm going to be looking at those uh, in the next little while I'll do like a big overview thing and then in a few months time I'm going to do a month of octopus fluids inks reviews which I'll look at them all in just a little bit more detail but beautiful inks and always lovely inks like octopus aubergine was right up there in 2023 of my favorite inks so keep an eye out for that one as well Things I've got coming in the mail. Firstly, I'm so excited. I have pens coming from Mark's Innovative Gear or MIG. Shane there and I have discussed and we've got a couple of pens coming for me to look at. Uh, And uh, they're going to be a big part of my year. Not just this little period where I review them, but going ahead. I'm looking forward to that immensely. They are beautiful pens, beautiful EDC metal pens, which um, I'm very, very keen on. Also, I have some pens coming from Stravina again. So I'll get to look at a couple more models of what they produce and maybe even a ballpoint pen. I think the ballpoint pens look really, really lovely. Also have now the Hongdian C1 and the Jinhao 82 Mini coming for some budget uh, pens as well. The 82 Mini is basically a pocket version of the 82. So it's got a shorter body and when it when you post the pen, it comes out to roughly a full size pen apparently. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that and comparing it with the 82, which is a pen I actually really enjoy, particularly at a pretty decent budget friendly price point. One thing I will kind of mention here uh, is that this year, 2024, I'm doing a thing called Pen embargo, or basically a play on embargo where I'm not allowing myself to buy as many pens now you, a lot of you know I'm trying to downsize my pen collection. I'm selling a lot of pens. I'm gifting a lot of pens And I'm just trying to get my pen down to a more intentional collection uh, so This year I'm not going to be buying as many pens. This doesn't mean I'm not going to be reviewing a lot of pens because obviously I have connections with some brands and retailers so I have access to a number of pens uh, for reviews that uh, I will be looking at. I've also already purchased a number of pens over the last few months that will be reviewed in 2024 particularly these first few months but my plan is yes to buy less pens. I have If I see my Grail pen, I will buy it, but I have two other pens I'm looking at buying uh, and they will be pens that I will show and review when they are purchased, but right now I'm trying to limit the number of pens I actually buy. I think it's a healthy thing for me to do as someone who hoards, but also uh, in terms of like being, as I said, more intentional with the actual pens that I get. Okay, let's do a quick Q&A before I get to my interview with Michael from Platypus Pens. So, I have two questions today, and the first comes from Jason B. Uh, Jason asks, what is the biggest sin a pen company can make? Now, I took this question to be in terms of as when they produce a pen or release a pen. And I'm gonna give two quick answers for this one. The first is not providing a converter. If you are making a cartridge converter pen in 2024, or in the 2020s, and you can't provide a converter with it, even if that means increasing the price ever so slightly, I think you need to look at your business model, because the converter is the economical way going ahead, it's the sustainable way going ahead. And it doesn't cost that much to provide a cartridge and a converter. As I said, even if that means upping the price of your pen ever so slightly, the convenience of the converter being provided is huge. Now, a lot of you know I work occasionally in a stationery shop here in Melbourne. I love that work. We sell a range of pens there that don't come with converters. Now, I always suggest that people get the converter, even if they're planning on using the cartridges, because a lot of people end up going from cartridges to bottled ink and converters, especially when they open themselves up to the range of inks that are available and the colors that are available and the properties of the ink. I really believe that getting a converter with a pen is convenient, is sustainable, and also opens you up so much. So a company not providing a converter in the 2020s with their pens, I find to be a big sin. The second big sin for me is a little bit more pedantic, but that is a pen where the grip section stains. Now, a lot of us fill our pens by dipping the nib and the nib section, well, just past the nib, into a bottle of ink. Ink inevitably will get on the section of that pen. If you carry your pen in your pocket, you may get ink on the section of your pen. There's lots of ways that can happen. So these companies that produce pens with like slightly rubberized sections or with different materials, woods and things like that, that can stain with ink, that just has to be a no-no. An example I will give is the Lamy Studio LX All Black. That has a rubberized grip as does the, I think it's the brushed stainless steel version of the studio. If you get ink on the section of that and it dries on the section of that pen, the grip section, it will stain. Mine is stained and it's not coming off. There's probably chemicals I can use to remove it but it's stained. Um, I'm also thinking of pens made out of materials like, you know, it's not the section but there's the Ryan Crusack pens uh, that are made out of like Antler. If that gets stained with ink, that is stained. So. Pen companies, just be considerate of these things. For me, those are two big sins that, like, I just don't enjoy. Okay, our second question for today comes from Alexandra O. Uh, And the question is, what pen are you most looking forward to acquiring in 2024? Now, I've mentioned already I want to get a on Block 149 that is a bit of a not. I I wouldn't call it a grail pen, I kind of call it a rite of passage pen for most sort of pen collectors, that at some point owning and, you know, using a 149 is kind of like one of those things you should do if that's the level you are at. So I'm saving to get one of those, I'll probably get a second hand, but that's fine by me. Um, I, It's not my favourite pen model, but it's something I feel I, I want to have at least for, for a, a short amount of time. But the pen I'm probably at the moment most looking forward to getting, and it's, I've taken the word acquiring in this question, meaning I don't have to be buying the pen. Uh, the pen I'm really looking forward to getting is the uh, Gravitas Pens Ultimate Vac Filler. So the ultimate Pen with the vac filling system uh, from Gravitas Pens, which is Ben Walsh over there in Ireland. Um, that's a pen that I'm slated to be reviewing this year. I'm looking forward to that a lot. It's a beautiful pen. It's a great pen shape, and the you know the design is kind of vintage but futuristic. Uh, the filling mechanism is great. The nibs are always well you know considered. So yeah, that gravitas pens ultimate uh, vac filler is a pen that is right up there on my list uh, to acquire in 2024. Okay, let's now head over to the interview with michael from platypus pens so i'm here with michael from platypus pens uh thank you so much for coming on my podcast today no oh, you're very welcome michael i was very pleased to be invited you and i have been uh discussing pens and a number of things for you know a couple of years almost a couple of years now i suppose yeah, yeah, um, sure. and i've reviewed a number of your pens and i have them here uh, sitting with me I, I think they're amazing and you know if anyone's listened to this and aren't familiar with platypus pens. please go and look at my reviews uh, on my channel and I'll also uh, have links to well my channel and also to Michael's website uh, in the description of this episode. Uh, so yeah check all that out. The pens are fascinating 3D printed pens. Um, can you just give us a very quick you know basic rundown of what you do and what platypus pens is?
1: Okay, well platypus pens is a small bespoke pen maker company, uh, set up as a retirement project for me. <laughs> so before I retired, I was a pharmacologist. I taught at Melbourne University. Mm. And uh, in the last few years of my uh, work there, I took up again fountain pens. Right. And it, uh, a few years before that, I had purchased a 3D printer to try and play with with my sons. Right. Oh, okay. So, I thought that might be a fun, uh, you know, father and son type Absolutely. project, and uh, neither of them stuck around with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think either of them would uh, ever want to look at a three D printer. Right. Um, but I found it to be very diverting. Yeah. And so when I was looking forward to retirement, I thought I would try and combine the two. Yep. And three D print some fountain pens initially for myself, yeah. uh, but when I finally managed to make one that wouldn't break and was attractive and useful, uh, I thought I'd try and sell it, mostly to try and impress my wife, (laughs) (laughs) who thought I was wasting my time. Yeah, you've got to justify justify the investment. Yeah. That's that's right. So when I sold a pen for $150, she was mightily impressed. Uh, how long did it take from uh, making that decision to actually selling your first pen? Like, was it a... Uh, the decision to 3D print pens, probably three or four years. Okay. A and long time.
0: Of was trial and error periods and yeah. prototyping and...
1: That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways you can 3D print a pen. Of course. And uh, a lot of them lead to pens that break. <laughs> or uh, unattractive, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, uh, it took me a long time to be satisfied with,
0: yeah, yeah, with yeah. a version. Well, so
1: Model 1 is not the first model. Yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: it's like, oh, it's like well, um, you've got a background in, in music as well, like classical yes. music. It's yes. like um, Schubert's Opus 1 is his song, The Earl King, yeah. which is not his first composition, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, that's the first one he sort of had published. I suppose it's the same thing, the Model 1 um, is that's your you know is your opus one in that effect yes. as well yes that's um, right so you say you got back into fountain pens when you were teaching at
1: yep. university what was that decision like what was that process to get back into it my first introduction to fountain pens was at primary school and i actually found the pen that may well be my <laughs> primary school <laughs> fountain pen a few years ago yeah uh, in a box of paints at my mother's place oh wow okay um I thought for a while it might be my brother's, but he claims to have had an osmoroid. And I know that I had a platignum, and this is a platignum. Then for 50-odd years, I didn't use a fountain pen. Yeah. But I had a couple of colleagues at work who had uh, fountain pens. Right. Uh, One of whom had uh, uh, a Montblanc, a 146, I think. Yep. And he left it on my desk one day by accident. (laughs) <laughs> and I played with it before I gave it back.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the 146 is a beautiful pen. Yes, not too big. That's it. That, for, I have a 146 at home, which I really like. I, I'd eventually like to get a 149 just because it's, you know, like... It's the one. It's the one, you know. It's a rite of passage, I think. Um, but getting the um, the 146 is such a, it's such a great size in the hand. It's a really comfortable pen, so... Yeah, I can absolutely see why. Playing with that was like, oh, yeah, okay. This
1: is, <laughs> this is what this is like. After I realised that uh, fountain pens were fun, I decided to get myself one yep. and was horrified at what a Mont Blanc would cost. Oh, yeah. And decided I couldn't hide that from my wife. <laughs> and uh, so instead I, I looked around on the internet and looked at a few reviews and things, and I bought myself a... Uh, a uh, Pilot Metropolitan. Yep. A very attractive little pen. But it felt very awkward in my hands. It, I didn't like the big step
0: down. That for me, yeah, once again, this is exactly the feeling I have about the Metropolitan. It's a good pen. Like, I'm not I'm not going to tell on oh. it too much. It's a perfectly good pen. It worked well. Yeah, absolutely. And so wh- where did you go to from there? What was the... Oh,
1: uh, a few other cheapies yep. that were... Variably satisfying or yep. not satisfying. Uh, and then I got one from uh, Blackstone and uh, that little pen was much more pleasant to me. Yeah. I would think that pen was responsible for me. Yeah. Deciding that I really would play with fountain pens. Then, of course, I started to get inks because I need a red ink. Of course. Uh, it turns out that marking exam papers with fountain pens, not such a sensible idea. <laughs> <laughs> not the cheap printer papers, not, not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not perfect. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I guess shortly after that, I decided yeah. I would uh, uh, 3D print myself a pen. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you were 3D printing before? Yes. That. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, as soon as I was into fountain pens, I had to become into paper. Yep. Because yep. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, one follows naturally from the other. Yep. And uh, I like the whole world of fountain pens, ink, and stationery. Yeah. It's it's nice having pretty things. Oh, or I agree. well-designed, thoughtful things. Yeah. I'm, I'm becoming more and more intentional
0: with my the things I use and the things I, I get and uh, collect. Mm-hmm. Um, at the start of it all, of course, you got you buy everything, you get your hands on whatever you can. And, you know, the amount of different brands of paper I went through trying to find the ones that worked for me. And I settled a lot on um, Midori paper mm-hmm. and also on, like you've got a, a Life stationery notebook here in front of you, um, which I absolutely loved um and there's some Midori there as well. <laughs> they're two great paper brands, they Japanese are. paper. Yep. And uh, you know, they they're kind of no fuss paper as well, which I really I really appreciate. You know, Tomo River is wonderful, but you can't use that every day. You can't use that as your as your go-to paper. Mm-hmm. But yeah, more I'm becoming more and more intentional about what I actually have in front of me. My plan is to have just the pens I love and that I use mm-hmm. and that you know actually interest me, or pens that um, actually like move me or that I'm connected to. Because also pens can have that relationship with you. Yes. You know, like I remember I buy pens to signify pa- things in my career. If I get a when I first did a role with Opera Australia, I bought a Parker of Centennial. Like that was my like gift to myself for that role, and so I couldn't get rid of that pen now, no matter how much I. Even if I don't use it, I couldn't get rid of it. It's special. It's special, exactly. And you do get connected to things. It's the same for pen people. Pens are the same as jewellery or, you know, family heirlooms, things like that. Yes. SBRE Brown in his latest um, goat video, you know, greatest of all time video, he spoke about his grandfather's pen that he has. Uh, and it's really lovely. Like that is, that is the connection you can have to this stuff. So it's not just about having the best thing or the most expensive thing, or, you know, not necessarily even the thing that you use all the time, but it's having the connection to the item and whether it's because you love writing with it or because you've got an emotional connection to an item. And it's a, it's a, it's a nice thing about this hobby, I think. So you transition from being a pen user to a pen maker. Yes. That's my way of putting it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, what was the process of learning? Like you said, you were already 3D printing. Yes. You know, as, in general. Yep. So what was the process of learning how to make a pen? Like, was there a a process of,
1: you know, retro engineering something or was it? Yeah. Um, the difficulties I faced early in making the pens largely stemmed from using the standard software that generates the file that the 3D printer prints. Right. So the standard approach to making an object and 3D printing it is you design the object in some 3D designing software. Mm. We usually call it CAD software. And then you export a file from the CAD software into a separate piece of software that's called a slicer. Right. And the slicer slices the object into flat layers that the 3D printer can then print one on top of the other. And you get a stack of these flat layers that makes the final object. One problem with using the slicer like that is that each layer has a start and an end. And there's a, an artifact happens, there's a blob and a gap at each start and end yep. of each layer. So there's a, a, a defect that runs up the side of the thing you're printing. Yep. Now, if you're printing something with lots, lots of angles and protuberances and things, you can hide that. And in fact, nowadays, the slicer software will hide the seam, right. we call it the seam, uh, quite naturally. But... I wanted to have no seam. Yeah. And so there's another way of printing the things which involves printing the object as a single spiral. Mm. So rather than a lay- layer by layer stacked one on top of the other like Sarah Lee would do, <laughs> you print the thing as a helix where it's like a spring. Yeah. But with the, uh, the coils of the spring welded together, one on top of the other. Yeah. And that way you avoid the seam entirely. But the problem with that is you then end up with an object that's only one extrusion thick, and it can be quite fragile. Yeah. And so my early pen failures mostly stemmed from having parts that were one layer thick, one extrusion thick, and they'd break. So then I decided I would have to... uh, Uh, glue multiple pieces together in a sort of sandwich with epoxy to make it strong enough. And that allowed me to then have this single spiral printed thing with no seam Mm. in a strong enough to use pen. But then I came into the limitation that I wanted to get rid of the layer line yeah now if you've ever seen a 3d printed object you can easily tell that it's 3d printed because it's got layer lines yeah. that you can like little grooves, feel like little grooves yeah and they're usually thought to be as a def- they're a deficiency they're something that made 3d printed objects less nice yeah than they would otherwise be and so i spent a lot of time trying to make the layer lines go away by mm. filling them and painting the pen but i couldn't get good adhesion of the paint to the the plastic I yeah. was using. And I'd sand them away, but that was clearly going to be too much work. That's a lot of, for, that's a lot of time and effort. Someone who's <laughs> as lazy as me, that's not <laughs> worth doing. Um, and so I eventually came on the insight that rather than making the layer lines go away, I should exploit them and make patterns in my pens. I found that I needed to be making the files that run the 3D printer with software that i wrote myself and then at some stage i decided that i would look at the pens that i owned and which ones i liked best and i've already said i didn't much care for the feel of the pilot metropolitan mm. um but the uh waterman's expert yeah was one that i bought from an op shop i got it for a, a bargain price the op shop thought they'd done very well at fifty dollars wow but it was a An absolute bargain because it's a brilliant pen, amazing pen, and it felt right in my hand. Yeah, the dimensions and and the the dimensions. And and model one copies some aspects of the the Waterman's Expert. Um, I haven't actually checked to see if the Expert is a circular arc in in its outside. I suspect it might be because that's a convenient shape to make in CAD. Right. And presumably it's designed in CAD. Um, But uh, uh, certainly the shape of the Model 1 Mm. mimics that.
0: That's very interesting. So, okay, so you've done a Model 1... The model 10
1: which is the larger version of the one more or less yes i knew that people liked large pens yeah yeah so you mentioned SBRE brown yeah of course i i, I watched a lot of his videos yeah. and and he kept singing the praises of pens that were larger than the pens that i like so model 10 i don't like much <laughs> <laughs> i always I used, love the model 10. i use, always use model one yeah, yeah um well i have
0: but, my terracotta in a model 10 and it's yeah I think it's one of my absolute favorite pens it's Fabulous. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I have I have terracottas in model one <laughs> scattered around, and and this is a an early uh, terracotta model pre one. Yeah, right. Um, but you can see, well, Michael can see <laughs> on this that I've got the shape of the uh, expert it's, section. Absolutely. There. And the expert section's actually a little unusual in that the flare at the end of it occurs a good distance uh, away from the nib. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of nice because it forces you to hold it further from the nib. Yeah, I agree. And it it means that a small nib doesn't make your hand feel cramped down onto the paper.
0: So I I, I agree with that a lot. I think a little extra gap makes a big difference. And I think um, there's a couple of Faber-Castell pens that have a, like, I think it's uh, the ambition or something like that, has this tiny little thing on the end of the pen that people say is the section that's too small. I actually think your design, it's designed to hold the, for the back beyond that yeah. because it does have that smaller nib and it gives you a nice distance away from the page, it actually gives you the same distance as using a number six mm-hmm. size nib. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, I think you're absolutely spot on with that, like that little bit of distance makes a big difference. So yes, so model one, the model 10 which is larger you've got the Quackers, which are a model 1 and 10 so they're the pocket pens yeah which and um by the way all of these pens I reviewed on my channel so check it out because they are really fascinating um and the quokka has been really popular hasn't it like
1: uh reasonably popular yeah, would, yeah. Uh, none of my pens have been enormously popular but they've been popular <laughs> enough to keep me busy yeah, yeah. Uh, without taking up all of my time so well it's a retirement project after all (laughs) you don't want to retire
0: into work exactly um Um, uh, then again i suppose nothing's work if you enjoy it so um (laughs) um. (laughs)
1: yeah well i enjoy tinkering and uh the pens are the product of tinkering but making pens that's no longer tinkering once once you've got the process down that's just it's
0: it's 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 manufacturing Yeah. yeah so let's talk a hypothetical here. Let's say you are making a model 75 pen. From the moment of, okay, I'm going to make a new model through to prototype or version, you know, mm-hmm. one of that pen, what's the process for you?
1: If I'm making it for me, well, I already have my pen and that's the model one. Yep. And so I would be just playing around with different patterns yep. to keep myself interested. Yep. And different filaments. Most of you listening to this podcast will have a collection of inks. Well, I have a collection that's at least that big, but it's filament for the 3D printer. Yeah. I have five or six different types of plastic in lots and lots and lots of colours. And some of the filaments have sparkles in them. And some of the filaments have multiple colours. And some of the filaments... You can get glow in the dark. I've never made printed <laughs> glow in the dark filament. But uh there, there are so many variations available to me that I think that if I was doing it for myself, I could just stay pretty much with the model one yeah. and play around with colours and patterns. Yeah. Now having said that, I am working on a new model, as Michael yeah. knows very well. Uh and uh, he has previewed a version of it. I'm mm. um, called the one he uh, previewed, Model 20, yeah. because uh, it takes a number six nib and it's a little larger than I prefer. But in this case, a little larger is helpful because it has a novel filling mechanism. Mm. Uh, and because I like tinkering, I'm enjoying tinkering with the filling mechanism rather than the whole pen per se yeah and the rest of the pen then follows on from the need to house the filling mechanism
0: right okay so the size of the or or the the size of the the internals dictates an element of the size of the externals if that makes sense yes that's
1: right so uh it's easier to build a large pen for me Yeah, yeah, yeah it's easier by the way i build them, a large pen's going to be more robust. It mm-hmm. has more space in it for uh, epoxy filling that yeah. make, gives it strength. It has more space for uh, the lead ballast that I put in uh, to, to give balance in the hand and also to act as a pseudo roll stop. Yeah. Uh, so a large pen to start with, and then I'll make a smaller model Version of it, which as would you... be presumably model two, yeah, uh, to fit my hand. <laughs>
0: I just love the fact that you constantly evolve what you do to make it better and stronger, and the process better, um, and also because we, as as you know, customers, end up with products that are super high quality, and reliable, and look great. I'm in a very fortunate position to be able. To see that process as well, I think so.
1: Well, I'm I'm in the fortunate position of having you not too far away, so that I can <laughs> talk with you. It's, yeah, it's uh, 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 it's nice to be able to talk to someone who takes your hobbies seriously. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, of course, and like you know, I, I I've bounced ideas off you for you know uh, things, and even with we've We've discussed elements of your pens and you know that have dare I say enacted some j- changes mm-hmm. yep. um, and so you know it's nice to be able to give feedback that is uh you know appreciated and taken on board um, Have there been any like challenges for you along the way with the making of the pen and the printing of the pen and the design on it that, that just like took more effort
1: than you expected <laughs> Uh, everything takes more effort than expected (laughs) and uh, uh, the 3D printer breaks down at always the worst possible moment or or, uh, uh, things go wrong. So um, one thing I discovered while printing up a stock of pens for the Melbourne Pen Show Mm -hmm. last year uh, was that the beautiful carbon fibre filled PLA, black, slightly matte, slightly satiny plastic Mm. that feels interesting in the hand. It's a beautiful material. (laughs) It clogs the nozzle of the 3D printer. Oh, no. And it usually clogs the nozzle just before it's finished any particular part that you're printing. Right. Um, So uh, I now have a second roll of that plastic from a different brand. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, which it's a bit, a bit hard to say whether it's better or not. It hasn't clogged as often as okay. the original brand, yeah. and so uh, I guess I'm prepared to to print with it.
0: Because um, there's a few materials like, but the basic is, is the, the 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 standard plastic is PLA plastic, right? Uh, yes, like that, that's the that's so the that's, base the base plastic, if you will.
1: Yeah, the most common plastic printed in. The style of 3D printer that I use, which we probably should specify is a FDM, fused deposition modelled (laughs) um, uh, printer. PLA is the most common, both because it really is very easy to work with. Yep. uh, And it's a bioplastic. It's inexpensive. And it comes in a huge, huge range of colours and yeah. and which is all important, all yeah. important to me. And then there's
0: a range of PLAs that have other things included in them, like the like carbon fibre, carbon fibre, yeah, um, or the uh, terracotta. Which, yes, which I love, so that, but, but like you said, is tricky to yeah. to work
1: with. The or trickier, the the filaments that have. Particles in them yeah. are typically uh, more difficult to deal with. But I have to say that the uh, the terracotta and granite filaments, because they're awkward to print with, yeah, I I have to print twice as many parts course, to get yeah, a, yeah. a finished pen. And there are lots of ways to break them before they're finally yeah uh, laminated together. So I, they're not that yeah. They're not my favourite to work with. But they are my favourite in the hand. So uh, I've got a Model 1 here in the new fluted pattern in the uh, granite. And you can see what happens to it uh, when it's been in use for a while. So not only is it hard to work with, but because it's slightly porous...
0: It picks up everything. It picks up everything. Uh, Having a a line of of materials or colour combinations and things that you can... produce makes these sort of like semi-customisable I
1: suppose in a way. Um, Yeah. At the moment the pens are entirely customisable so if you look at my website platypuspens.com It will be linked uh, below. (laughs) uh, You'll see that I'm offering a wide range of colours in any combination you like Um, and at the moment when a a customer contacts me uh, and asks about a colour I'll print out some samples of various combinations of yeah. colors in the vicinity of what they've asked for and uh, let them choose. When I get around to changing the website, yeah. uh, I will end up offering pe- pre-built pens yeah. for sale in the manner that lots of people do, of course. Like, like pens by Casey and yeah. Just Turning. So You go to their websites and they have some pre-built pens film. on hand. They'll also custom make you a pen, of mm. course. Um, but i I think that I'm going to move to making pens in batches. Yeah. And then offering those particular pens. Yeah, that's online. a great idea.
0: Yeah, and also having stock on hand speeds up the process for the buyer as well, I suppose. Yes, that's right. It, yeah.
1: It takes at least three days. Yeah. To, for me to make a pen. Yeah. Um, and that's. At least three days because I have two overnight setting periods, curing yeah. periods for the epoxy, um, and I have to have some of the parts epoxy together before I can assemble the other parts. So yeah. I can't can't really do that in parallel. Um, so pens on hand, yeah, I could get an order and put it in the mail that same day. Um, so you do that. we are talk about the Melbourne Pen Show now. So how did you
0: find? the experience of this year's, or last year's now, uh, Melbourne Pen Show?
1: I loved it. Uh, It was tiring. At the end of the day, I was exhausted. I bet. My brother, who came along to help me at the table, he had a great time as well. (laughs) He uses fountain pens, but uh, while he has a couple of model ones, he uses Parker 51s. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> um, There's room so for all of them. He, he was helping at the, the table and uh, he knows nothing at all about 3D printing, um, but he had a great time and I'm very grateful to him for being there because there were periods when I was absolutely swamped. Yeah. And uh, it seemed that everyone who came up to the table expected my undivided attention for the whole of course, time of course. that they were there, and uh, I was always trying to divide my attention yeah. amongst the, the the multiple people. I also enjoyed wandering around, mm. uh, seeing uh, what other people are doing, and yeah. browsing in the uh, uh, the vintage pens there. I didn't buy anything at the show because I think I was just too distracted with the notion that I had my own table. Absolutely, and I like I. I, I
0: wandered around for... I was only there for a, a few hours. Um, but it was really lovely to see the community there and to stop and chat with so many people. and, um, But, yeah, like, I'm just getting into vintage pens. Like, I've always been a modern pen person because they're easier. <laughs> you know, like, there's... Once you get a pen, hopefully the tinkering is minimal. You might need to tune the nib a little bit. You might need to... Whatever. Yeah.
1: But... A, a pen with a a... A nib unit from Yovo yep. or Schmidt or absolutely da- dare I say Bock? I know no, that you no, don't like not Bock. Not Bok. not Bock for me. Um, <laughs> uh, they work reliably. They've, yeah. Those manufacturers have put a lot of effort into design of their units and the nib yeah. and the feed. They work very reliably. Sometimes they need tuning. Absolutely. In fact, very often they need tuning. Yeah. Um, but they're but they're. A, they're a good nib unit and then if you stick a, uh, a cartridge converter on the back end of it there's not very much to go wrong. No
0: absolutely we always sort of joke about a lot of modern pens basically being nib holders for Yovo but like there's so much that's interesting about that going to like a, a pen show where there is everything from yourself and pens by Casey just turning that pen bloke with their beautiful, and also Marked Innovative Gear, who I think was next to... Yes, door next door. They were really they're interesting. Very interesting, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've, got, I've got a couple coming, which I'm excited about. Um, but they're, um, you know, like copper
1: pens and things yeah, like that. Which yeah, I'm, turned I, from solid. Yeah, very, amazing. Like, I almost bought one of their Marlin Spikes. Oh, yeah, right. one of my other hobbies is dinghy sailing. Really? And, okay. And... To be honest, I don't have much use for a Marlin spike right. but as a sailor, I'll call myself a sailor, <laughs> you're supposed to have a Marlin spike. Right,
0: okay. It's like the Montblanc one forty nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: right.
0: Um but no, it was super interesting to see all that. And um to like to see as I said like the community and everything, but also to be to look at those vintage pens that were there that had been lovingly restored and, you know, a lot of time and effort spent on them to actually to to sort of wet the appetite for that a little bit like i've got yeah a couple of vintage parkers and um you know um now a vintage schaefer um mm-hmm. <laughs> which is phenomenal like incredible uh but yeah like looking at like the even like the vintage Lamy pens that were there and things like that it's 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 fascinating to see that and to mm-hmm. start to instill that thing in your mind of of where your interest might go um Like I love vintage Parker,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I you know my uh, who who doesn't? Well, exactly right. Like they were that that was the glory days of Parker. Exactly. Modern Parker does not compare. Well, it's not really the the same same company. company. No, like I I made a joke on a previous podcast episode that someone asked me what pen company that had passed away I would like to revive, and I said Parker Um, because (laughs) like while they still exist, it is not you know the brand it used to be um no. the you know the, the dual fold centennial beautiful pen but that is a 800 900 dollar pen it's that sort of lower like that parker 51 they re-released a couple of years ago should never have happened the jotter is fine and it's for what it is but there's so much that i miss about the like the vintage parkers i have i love um so yeah, I think that's a. Uh, it was. It's just nice to see that stuff there that has been taken care of, and mm-hmm. and sometimes you can pick up a, a you know a good price, but uh, yeah, they are they can kind of get quite um, expensive. But what isn't expensive, um, which I wanted to talk to you about, uh, is um, we've both recently got a Hongdian pen. Yep. The N uh, ten. Ten. model. Yeah. Mine's green. I, I I wanted the blue one, but you can't. The blue one's really hard to get.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so I ended up getting the red one, and like it's not perfect. It's not a perfect pen. There's a few things that I would I would change, and I'm sure on Gam will real. But these are phenomenal at the price point. Uh, yes. Like I don't know how what, they was
1: it was it thirty dollars
0: thirty five or something. I think I might have got mine for, but like it's an
1: Ebonite feed. It's got a number eight nib. And it's a nice nib. It's a nice nib. I it's had a... I had to align the tines, and I right. probably probably tuned it. I don't recall, but I usually do. Yeah. No, a, a, an absolute bargain. Pati- platypus pens can't compete with this. If you're after the, the best possible bang for your buck, then uh, I think yeah, Chinese pens are probably the way to go.
0: They are, and like a pen like this, that isn't a direct ripoff of another pen model I like this model I like the look of it I like the feel of
1: it it's it's I'm particularly impressed with the the pattern on the outside yeah if you look at it under magnification you can see that it is in fact an indented pattern right that then plays with the light yeah when you move the pen the the pattern moves it's, it's an a, impressive pen it's
0: an impressive pen the a6 is also very impressive um, that's their skeleton. Model that has like the, the steel uh-huh. overlay, super impressive pens. Like I hadn't used hongjian until like the last month, and um, and now I've mentioned them a couple of times on on this episode and the last one. Uh, but they are really quite phenomenal. I think like I said, value for money, bang for bark. They are scary good value, really. Mm. Um, yeah. So these hongjian pens have amazing nibs on them. I don't know who makes them. I think they're all made in the same sort of factories as um you know like there's a bunch of pens like nawal and moonman and things that sort of get all their nibs made in the same kinds of places so i'm assuming hongdian Hong get theirs
1: made there yeah i'm not sure i i, I haven't ha- i don't have a any of those yeah but the nib in my hongdian is much softer than you expect from a chinese steel nib yeah yeah and it's also pro- it's actually for me it feels softer
0: than a lot of like the um, the standard nib makers as well, the you know the Yovos, the Schmitz, the Box, yes. and things like that. Yes, um, it is. And for me, that's actually like I like that's about as soft as I like a, a nib to be. Actually, before we recorded, I was telling you about um, Pilot nib on the Custom yeah. seventy four and the Heritage ninety two being slightly springy. And that's as much as I kind of like because I do prefer a as a left handed writer, I do prefer a slightly stiffer nib, like. Schmidt and Yovo, and that, well, they're actually what you use in your pens, aren't they? You've, yeah. you've traditionally used Yovo,
1: but you're now moving more to Schmidt. Yes, I I bought some Schmidt nibs when I started playing around with the uh, uh, Model Twenty with a an a, an ebonite feed. Mm. So the you can buy the ebonite feeds relatively inexpensively right. out of India, yep, and they're the right size to fit on just about any number six nib. Really? You can heat set them. In fact, you have to heat set them to make them uh, match up with most of the brands of nib. And uh, I was able to get the Schmidt nibs for maybe two thirds of the price of the Yovos. Right, okay. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to be taking the nibs out of the housing and Mm. sticking them on the ebonite feed and it's a new model and I'm probably going to bugger them all up and I'll get the Schmitz. And when I got them, they just wrote so mm. well. I I found that of the Schmidt nibs that I've tuned up, if you like, yeah. maybe a third of them need nothing done to them. Right. And another third of them need very little yeah. beyond maybe smoothing. Yeah. And the other ones are easily fixed. And... I think that's a much better success rate than I've been having from Yovo and miles better than I have from Bok. I, I don't agree with you that Bok's are crap nibs, <laughs> but I do agree that they all I, need a lot of work. I,
0: I think that's and, more my point with them is that like, I've, I've tuned a number of my Bok nibs to be very pleasant writers uh, because a lot of pens come with Bok nibs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find I have to do it more. Yeah. And if I was I buying right. nib units, if I was making pens myself, if I was buying nib units, I wouldn't even bother with Bok because yeah. the amount of extra work and tuning that they demand. Whereas you can buy a Yovo nib, and I've, I've bought no Yovo nibs from um, wholesale kinds of places that don't touch the nibs. They come as they come. Yep. Well, that's, and, that's how I get them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, like, and they are fine. Most of the time... They're fine. You know, you can, with, as I said, with a little bit of tuning, you know, like maybe smoothing them, maybe just aligning the, the tines ever so slightly or flossing the, you know, the tines. Sure. But the Schmidt pens I've got with the Schmidt, well,
1: Schmidt nibs I've got on pens recently have all been so impressive. When I first started making pens, I didn't buy Schmidt nibs because according to the internet wisdom, mm. the sequence of goodness of the nibs was Jovo better than Bock better than Schmidt. Yep. But certainly the two types of Schmidt nibs that I've purchased mm. and now since the I was getting ready for the pen show, I bought lots of them, yeah. I remain impressed with them. Yeah. And I think what they have over the Yovos is that the tine spacing is very consistently correct. Yeah, I agree. Whereas the Yovos, some of them are too tight, some of them are too loose, i I've often had to take the nib out of the housing and adjust the time spacing on a Yovo, but never on a Schmidt. And it makes my life easier, and they cost slightly less. I'm thinking that I might offer as a service to customers some custom grinds. Now that I've got into the Schmidt nibs, where I know they're consistent from one to the next, um, it becomes quite reasonable to uh, uh, do just a, f- a few standard custom grinds. Yeah, that's great. Um, I quite enjoy doing it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be able to charge what the uh, time would be worth if I were not doing it as a hobby, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if it's something I like doing, it's like tinkering, tuning oh, in.
0: Yeah, it. absolutely. I, I, I find it quite relaxing. I, mm. You know, I often put nibs aside, pens aside that need a bit of work and do them across Mm. a day, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, I find it very relaxing.
1: After the uh, pen show, I actually thought that uh, it might be a good thing to offer a workshop associated with the pen show. Absolutely. Basic nib tuning. Yep. So uh, I and maybe one of the other uh, small pen makers, uh, we could put together a workshop. I think that that might be something that, could be done to expand the pen show just a little bit i think it's a great idea
0: okay so coming to the end of our little uh, chat here for the podcast today um thank you so much for your time today to have all this discussion it's been really interesting and uh i hope that uh obviously all the uh the listeners are interested as well and have found something new and check out uh, the Platypus Pens website. Um, but before we go, I do have to ask one question. And that's a question I'm asking all my guests. And that is, what are your three favourite stationery items?
1: You mean apart from a Platypus pen? Uh, well, <laughs> Platypus is right up there for me. Um... <laughs> no, I, I, I can't choose Platypus. I've got in my hand a uh, a leather notebook holder uh, and you'll be very surprised to hear that it's from Helen McLean. Oh, who's Helen McLean? <laughs> <laughs> Helen McLean's a, a local to Melbourne mm. uh, maker of stationery-associated leather stuff. And this notebook is just gorgeous. It's it, gorgeous. beautiful and a it great colour combination feels as feels well. good in the hand. It's made of thick, robust stuff. The stitching's perfect. And my wife gave it to me for Christmas. So oh, that's amazing. must, that's great. must yeah. be the perfect thing. I've stuck in it, of course, a Midori notebook. Of course. Which fits perfectly. And uh, I haven't started writing in it yet. <laughs> but I enjoy fondling it. Helen was the
0: guest on my first interview episode of this podcast. And uh, like I've, I've reviewed a number of Helen's products and it was great to see her at the pen Show as well. Just top quality stuff. Beautifully made, beautifully designed, and like
1: just a lovely, lovely person. I'll probably count that as one as thing. As one, yeah. One thing. I think that's so a good a one. Helen yeah. McLean leather notebook cover yep. filled Be- with a Midori notebook. Beautiful. Beautiful. Good for every occasion. My second thing's a bit different. Yeah. It's a box of antique gummed labels that my father used to use when he was addressing parcels, oh. he, he made um, uh, uh, leather work himself. So I'm, I'm wearing a belt that actually I made, but I made this in my father's what we call the saddlery. Look uh, at that. Out of his bits and bobs. Anyway, these gummed labels, which are my stationery item number two, they're elegant and functional. And if you look online for gummed labels, you'll find an infinity of sticky labels that you're supposed to run through your laser printer. Yeah. And they just have plain borders. Yeah. And they're in funny colours and they look ugly as hell. Yeah. These things look elegant. I'd love to be able to replace them because not only have I effectively run out of this box that I stole from my... Father, after he passed away, uh, I kept it in my shed, and they got damp and glued themselves together. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh. I, I would like you can buy still antique. I could yeah. probably replace exactly this, but you pay you know vintage prices. Of course, for it. of course. Yeah. I I don't understand why someone's not making vintage style. Vintage style. Yeah nice labels
0: like this gummy labels by the way I will have a photo of these items uh, on my Instagram uh, on the day that this podcast is launched so you can see these beautiful products um, there as well
1: so that's my second one and my third one I think might be in fact a cigarette case right (laughs) it's from my grandfather gosh and it's Bakelite. It's black, and on top it's green, and it has a sort of Art Deco styling to it. It's beautiful, and it's beautiful, and I use it to keep tools that I use for poking and prodding at pen parts and things. So it's uh, it's not really stationary, but it does it does belong on a desk. But it ties in
0: beautifully with your um, your pen work and everything as well. So yes, yeah, 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 yes, I and I use it all the time. So you've got your beautiful Helen McLean notebook uh, cover with the Midori notebook, these really lovely antique uh, gummed labels, and then the yeah the the little toolkit box from your grandfather. That's as we've said, there's things that you tie to emotionally as yeah. well. That's yeah, that's so, right. that's so so interesting and um yeah it's it, this hobby it's it's fascinating what can be all brought together so thank you very much michael for uh, having me here today to have this chat as i said it's been really interesting i love what you do and i'm really looking forward to seeing uh what you come up with next and the next evolution of everything um so yeah a big thank you and thank you michael So that was my interview with Michael from Platypus Pens. I hope you found it interesting. I really find what he does to be fascinating, and I think he's got a great brain, uh, and he's great to chat to, and a a really, really uh, lovely and supportive guy. So, uh, yeah, great to chat with him and talk about his business, his interests, and uh, kind of, you know, what he sees the, the company doing in next fortnight's episode i'm going to be talking about pen stories now that is i'm going to take a handful of pens from my collection a small number of pens and i'm going to talk about uh, why i got them and why i keep each of them so it's a bit of a personal pens story kind of episode um, i want to talk about the emotional connection i have to certain pens why i have that connection what they mean to me but also i really want to talk about why certain pens work for me and why they stay in my collection when others are being moved on so as I said I'm going to focus on a handful of pens and talk about them sort of in my personal terms as to why these pens are in my collection and why they're staying there so thank you for listening to today's episode and I really hope you like and follow and you know tell all your like-minded friends about my podcast I enjoy making this content for you. I really enjoy making the YouTube videos and the Instagram. So please head over to my uh, YouTube and subscribe, and you know watch my videos there, and you know follow me on Instagram for a bit more sort of uh, behind the scenes, if you will, of all of this. But yes, thank you for listening to this uh, podcast, and uh, I will see you in a fortnight with the next episode of the Offstage Me podcast. In the meantime, enjoy your pens. Enjoy writing, and I'll talk to you soon.